After all, there is nothing real outside our perception of reality, is there? Pas te dire ce que tu peux faire pour moi. Tu vas voir, c'est pas compliqué. Tu me parles pas. Tu me poses pas de questions. If you wish to avoid prosecution, I would advise that you comply with our language laws. This is the Royal Canadian Movie Podcast. Hey there, and welcome to the RCMP. That's the Royal Canadian Movie Podcast. I'm your co-host, Becky Shrimpton, and with me, once again, right before we break <laughs> for the holiday, is Mr. Cameron Maitland. Hey, Hello. Cam. How's it going? I am so good. How are you doing? I'm all right, man. I don't know. Ready for the holidays, <laughs> I guess. This, this won't come out in the order, but I'm no, no. ready for the holidays. We're about halfway through January right now in terms mm. of this release. and yeah. um, So we probably, I don't know, died in a plane crash. <laughs> that's not <laughs> true. <laughs> you and I also always end up on the same planes. Yeah, that's true. Um, and I, we don't do the president thing. We don't, no. But I do uh, <laughs> go and sneak up behind you and see what you're watching to see sure. if I should be watching it. Because usually, you know, you've got good recommendations. It's going to be whatever, I don't know. Ralph breaks the internet or something. It's always kid stuff. That's what I tend to watch as I well. Never go out to it in theaters. Uh, well, we're going to be talking to someone today who uh, is a very, <laughs> very distinct adult, even though yeah, she has a joie de vivre. What is your? What's your? <laughs> I was going to say, are you guys watching all the great Canadian movies? Uh, you know what? Sometimes Air Canada does have a fantastic selection. Yeah. yeah, but uh, yeah, I do try. But every once in a while, they'll con you into. Uh, I, I don't think that they're necessarily discerning as much as but they open Brown their doors. But Brown Girl away. Begins is on the okay. plane oh. right now. It's really good. You then should watch it. I will have to go on that. Yeah. Well, let me bring on our guest. Yes, this sorry. is the <laughs> fabulous. It's all good. Rachel E. Beattie is with us today. She's the assistant media archivist at Media Commons Media Archive at the University of Toronto. I wrote that down. That's why it sounded like I was reading it. Um, because your title is complicated and we have been corrected a number of times. You are an archivist. You yeah. are not a librarian. Yes. You are That's very different. Technically, I'm an assistant archivist. Archivist, but yeah, no. <laughs> the profession is archivist, yeah, not library. Excellent. <laughs> your profession is archivist. Yes, yeah. and, and uh, people will remember you from our live show. Mm. Uh, we had you on there, and you are a wellspring of knowledge about wow. Canadian film. Um, and also, we have to include your middle initial because a fantastic piece of trivia. Rachel, can you fill us in on this? Yeah, uh, I have a name doppelganger. There is another Rachel Beatty, Rachel M. Beatty, who uh, also she went to University of Toronto as well. And she did the library program that I did. Uh, we tend to get each other's email. Uh, when she, she used to work for TIFF, they merged our accounts. Uh, <laughs> wow. She got all my tickets. I mean, she fixed it very quickly. Uh, we know each other, thankfully. But yeah, um, so I'm constantly uh, somebody saying like, oh, I I think I know one of your friends. I'm like, it's probably the other Rachel. <laughs> and also she got my job offer when I got my current job. They emailed it because her email address is closer to what you would think mine is. I'm not going to say your email address <laughs> on my podcast. Um, so she got the the email saying that she got the job and she was like, yay! And then she realized she hadn't actually applied or had an interview <laughs> for the job. Yeah. So she was a bit confused. But yeah. Anyway. But she was happy for yeah, you, I'm yeah. sure. As Rachel's helping Rachel. Yeah. So. And, with, and with your job right now, I mean, what exactly is it that you do? Um, so uh, assistant media archivist, basically I provide access and I process collections for the media commons. So we're called a media archive because generally we have audiovisual materials, although that doesn't mean that 
only we only have AV stuff because every audiovisual collection also has paper and photographs and ephemera and um, props and that kind of. Some of them have props, not all of them. Um, so I spend a lot of time processing collections, but then I also provide access. So if you want to come to the Media Commons at University of Toronto, uh, and you can come because um, it is open to the public, you don't have to be a student. Um, you can email us, and we will provide access to the collections that we have. Um, perhaps of interest to your listeners, we have a lot of film stuff. Our, our mandate is broadly Canadian cultural production. So that includes film, but also television, music, uh, advertising, animation, and photography. Um, yeah, so we have archival collections for that. I don't know if people know what archives are compared to a library. It's like a library, but you can't take the stuff out because it's generally um, original stuff. So um, I guess... We don't have this collection, um, but if you want, would go to a, a library and you could borrow a DVD of David Cronenberg um, in an archive, you could go to, say, the Film Reference Library where they have the Cronenberg collection, and you couldn't take it out because it's original, but you could look at, like, original negative or call sheets or scripts and various revisions of the scripts, various different versions, soundtrack elements, all those kind of things. Um, so it's basically the records that were created in the running of a, a business or the conduct of a person's life. Um, so, yeah. I think yeah. what's especially interesting about it, and we're going to get into this as we do our film, because you've selected a film that I had not heard of, nor had oh, I okay, seen. Um, I am so glad I, I have now seen it, because <laughs> it falls into the category of stuff that I've never seen before, and that yeah. seems to be mainly my pursuit at this point in Canadian sure. film, is what haven't I seen before, and what are we doing nobody else is doing. Right. Um, first and foremost, what film are we doing? Uh, Lilies by John Grayson. And you came through the door, and the first thing you did was unpack your backpack, and you had a folder full of documents, including call sheets, original notes, um, commentaries on what should be left They were photocopies. The I didn't steal them. <laughs> you didn't bring the originals. No, no, no. <laughs> I, was even, I photocopied them because I was going to mark them up, and then I like I couldn't. I just wrote notes in my notebook. <laughs> They're amazing. <laughs> the notebook came out. The original play came out. Like You had everything, and I was like, oh, we have the right yeah. guest to talk about this film because it is not an easy film either. Oh, it's I don't a, know if I'm the right guest to talk about this film. Let's it's, talk about uh, this. It's yeah. a film that's set in alternative, well, there's two timelines. One is uh, 1952 in Quebec uh, when Duplessis was in power. Uh, the other is 1912 in Roberval, which is a small rural town on Lac Saint-Jean. They talk about it a lot in the play. <laughs> One of the characters calls it the Mediterranean. Um, and and so it's about homophobia and the hypocrisy of the Catholic Church. Uh, I am not Quebecois. I am. I'm. I identify as queer, but I am not a man. I did not grow up in the time where homophobia was rampant the way that this uh, the playwright did, that John Grayson did. Um, so I, it's not really my. There's so many identities in there that are not mine. Um, but so I did a lot of research. Sure. <laughs> but I mean, I was talking to a friend about this today. I think there's a danger that um, you th people think, well, we can throw someone who has an identity that matches that identity at a, a film when doing criticism and mm. uh, and then their voice then you have the problem of their voice speaking for everyone in that community and you're only ever going to have one opinion obviously like that opinion will be more informed there's a lot of things that I probably miss in terms of the political context of when it was written in I think it was written in 87 the first uh, French version of the play was performed in 1987 um, and 
you know, like, so there's certain things that I just, a person with that identity and that experience might know. Um, but, you know, like in terms of taste or, or whatever, you can't, I don't know, you, you can't necessarily say that um, just because you have someone of that identity that, that their word is gospel in terms of whether it's offensive or not, or whether it speaks to, because uh, especially with the uh, queer community, even among queer men, um, you know, there is no one experience. It is a very diverse and multiple identities within that large umbrella. And this um, also is a single individual writing for multiple right. individuals as well. It's <laughs> right, a very right, right. large like, ensemble I mean, cast. Grayson is an individual. Um, Michel Marc Bouchard is an. He wrote the original play that it was based on. They're all individuals. So yeah. Um, anyway, but I just feel like I have to like kind of gloss Throw that, that I am Throw not. the caveat on totally. Uh, yeah, it's not an experience that is my lived experience, but I um, I love this movie so much. I, I originally saw it when it came out, and uh, I have seen it probably in the triple digits wow. at this point. You must see something new every time you see it, because it is so complex. Like, yeah. it's deceptively yeah, 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 complex. Yeah. And uh, Grace and stuff is really like that. Um, there, There's just so many little things that uh, to notice about, like, in terms of the costuming, but also in the performances, which are uniformly amazing, yeah. I think. Yeah, um, there's no dud in this. And you're also yeah. going to be seeing a lot of Canada's finest theater actors in this as yeah. well. Um, intentionally, I assume, because it is kind of a play within a film within a play yeah kind of? um and i don't i was i had always assumed i just because i think that the only person who can play the countess is brent carver that he played the role when it originally uh, the original english production but he didn't i was looking in mm. the play uh, it was some other actor i had never heard of uh yeah so um i think he's um he's done toronto stuff he was in kiss of the spider woman the, the music because this film very much reminded me of kiss of the spider woman as i was watching it yeah. not just because of the presence of brent carver but also it's um very much a show that it's reliant on theatrical tropes. Um, yeah. It's about gay men in a prison. And yeah. <laughs> like, and there was just lots of parallels for me that I was like, oh, okay, I kind of see where this is going. And I love Kiss the Spider Woman. It's one of my favorites. Yeah. Um, so this was, this was really right up my alley. So you love this. Why? Like, what exactly is it about it that speaks to you? I'm not sure. Um, that's a really hard answer to unpack. Um, I love costume dramas. It's one of my favorite things that I had in the past have been a little bit apologetic for. It's such a girly thing to love costume dramas. I don't care. I think they're amazing. And I think they have a lot of transgressive um, possibilities. One of the we had talked about doing for the show... Um, Mansfield Park, which is not actually Canadian, despite the fact that it's directed by Patricia Rosema. Um, so then I was sort of in a like costume drama frame of mind. And like, honestly, um, I say the words, that's one of my favorite movies about four times a day, about five different movies. <laughs> so, I mean, it is one of my favorite movies. Uh, but I guess I was in that because we did so much uh, work on the, the Toronto project. And I spent a lot of time watching a lot of movies set in Toronto. I wanted to get kind of as far away from that as I could, I guess. And I wanted to start thinking about something that was very removed. So I think that's what brought me to rural Quebec in 1912. Um, but in terms of why I love the movie, it is fucking beautiful. Sorry. Is yeah. that a little, okay, you can swear. swear. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> it is. I would agree. It's fucking beautiful. Uh, it's, Becky already said fuck. Yeah. <laughs> um, the, the music is just uh, Michael Dana, who normally works with Adam McGoyan, I think, and still a lot of Canadian stuff, is 
transcendent, um, that all of the actors are very good looking. Um, you know, it's funny though, because I was thinking, I mean, one of the things that's a big thing in my life is I'm very, uh, obsessed with raising up the voices of women directors, um, women and non-binary directors. And, uh, <laughs> this movie, it's not directed by a woman. There are no women in the cast mm-hmm. at all, uh, because all of the roles are played by men, uh, because it's in a prison. There's a really strong woman who was one of the producers, Ann Stratton. She's amazing. She's done a lot of work. We, she was very nice about giving us permission for some of the stuff that she produced um, that was on the Toronto map. But yeah, no women on screen. Um, but I kind of feel like there are. Like, <sighs> I'm just kind of going all over the place. But one thing I was thinking while I was watching it again um, is that so uh, every time I watched Orphan Black, um, when the credits came up, I would be like, Oh yeah, all of those characters are played by Tatiana Maslany because when I was watching it, they were all very separate individuals, and I didn't think of them as being played by the same actress. And in it's sort of like a gender version of that with Lily's. When I watch it, Lydianne is a woman, and the the Countess de T is a woman. Like I don't think of them as Brent Car- Carver, Alexander Chapman. I think of them actually as as women. So even but, as you came in and we were having a conversation, I think I was using the pronoun she yeah. to describe them because you can't think of them in any other way. Yeah, That's the, performances the performance. are so naturalistic, and there's no there is not one ounce of camp. No, uh, despite what that jerk who reviewed the movie for the. We're going to get into that. Uh, but, <laughs> First yeah. and foremost, what is this film about? If you want to just give us like a little sure, condensed right. Synopsis. I'm just mentioning all these names and things, and we haven't even described the plot. So it starts in 1952 um, in a, a prison in uh, Quebec. Uh, there's a uh, priest who comes to hear confession of what we were told is a very sick man. When he gets in, it transpires that actually it was a trick, and he's been kidnapped by a group of prisoners who are the people who no one talks to, who they piss on in the yard. These are the outsiders of the prison. Um, They're performing a theatrical in which they're uh, sort of showing him uh, what happened in 1912, Robertval, which is the small town in Quebec. Um, so it's the story of three boys in a, who are in a Catholic school and are performing this play. There's so many plays within plays. They're performing a play of uh, the martyr of oh, I can't remember Saint the Sebastian. actual Saint Sebastian. I can't remember the actual name of the play, but it's by Gabriel Denuncio, which I'm probably mispronouncing. An Italian playwright. The play was written in 1911, so it would have been a new Fresh play new. at the time. <laughs> um, so it's a tragic love story uh, between Simon, who is the uh, incredibly good-looking but um, straight-presenting uh, guy, then Valier, who is uh, meanly called Lily White by uh, one of the other kids, um, who is more feminine-presenting and uh, is also from France. He's different from everyone in the village because he and his mother have come from France. And um, in the original play, they would have a French accent as opposed to a Quebecois accent. Um, his mother is has some mental health issues um, as a survival thing because she's been abandoned by her husband. Her husband went back to France, and she basically pretends that her shack is a manor house, that the, the river, the Lac saint Jean is the Mediterranean. Um, that's how she basically survives. Um, and then the, the third boy is Bilodeau, who is an uptight little jerk who is <laughs> intensely closeted and self-hating. Um, and he basically tries to ruin everything. Uh, then uh, a fabulous woman arrives in an air balloon, um, and Lydiane. She's from Paris as well. And so uh, Stimon basically has been beaten by his father uh, for... Because it's 
so complicated. There's Somebody a lot saw of complicated him kissing Philado. And so because he was trying to bug him. And then that seems a little weird. Uh, so then uh, he basically has to start thinking about girls now, he says, with a really sort of macho accent. So he has this relationship with Lydianne. But yeah, it's uh, basically a tragic uh, queer love story about three boys who are sort of destiny uh, closes in on them in rural Quebec in 1912. And then the twist at the end, of course, is that... Right. I guess, I mean, we might as well... <laughs> right. We can spoil this. Uh, I yeah. can't recommend this movie enough. Cam, did you like it? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think less than you guys, but I liked it. <laughs> it's, well, fine. <laughs> well, it's fine. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it won Best Picture in the Genie Awards. It did. You know what it beat out? No. Crash. Yeah, well, that makes sense. I like it, I like it better than Crash. <laughs> For sure. Uh, <laughs> but I just like that it was two um, head-to-head weirdo sure. queer yeah. sex films I what else yeah. that, uh, be- that were like competing back-to-back. Yeah. Back. Uh, yeah. This is also the first LGBTQ2A. Uh, 2S+. Plus. Thank you. Um, um, <laughs> yeah, I remember when Moonlight won, because, you know, we're so thirsty in Canada, that there was an article that was like, well, you know, in 1996, we had an LGBT <laughs> film win. It was like, Okay, and but, then the know, following it's... was crazy. Crazy also won as well. Yeah. Um, and so we, we we got two up on them. However, ours were both about white men. So, yeah, <laughs> so it's true. That exactly. Well. That that was going to be my point. <laughs> like, don't brag too much. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think we're all recommending this. This is all good. The twist, yeah. of course, is Rachel. Um, so uh, through a ser- complicated series of events, uh, before Simon and Valier are about to escape because Simon has finally um, acknowledged his love and doesn't want to hide anymore. Uh, Bilodeau comes in and is like, let's escape. And he kind of asks Simone to kiss him because they basically, in order to like freak Bilodeau out at the beginning of the play, Simone like aggressively kisses him, which is a little, it's a little bit assaulty. Um, and I feel like it's a little bit played for laughs. Like I can't help but laugh when, um, when <laughs> Matthew Ferguson runs away and it's like, ah! Yeah. <laughs> uh, but anyway, so uh, he flashing back to that, he says, "You know, give me a kiss." And and Billard, or um, Simone says, "Never." And uh, and that he freaks out and uh, throws a lantern on the ground. And the, it starts to burn. Um, and so and then he locks them in the room and then comes back in when they both passed out and rescues Simone. But Valier is left to burn to death. And then at the trial, uh, basically because everybody knows that Simone has been lighting fires all for the last couple months. So uh, Simone or Bilodeau says that uh, Simone started the fire because they he had a fight because Valier had come on. To him and he was disgusted um so he's been in, incarcerated for the last 40 years i'm not good at math 40 years yes yeah but 40 uh, years. for for exactly. the <laughs> crime of uh killing the only man he has ever loved and he did not commit it mm-hmm. um so that was basically they've called uh Bilodeau there to admit that he was responsible and so the confession that's being heard is Bilodeau's confession not simone's Confession. Bum, bum, bum. Um, so the conceit, though, the really important conceit that's vital to both the play and the movie is that this is a theatrical in a prison. It's not a flashback. So, so many reviews um, called it a flashback. And uh, one of the articles I read about it by oh, Brownlee. What was her last name? Uh, sorry. 
that. Shannon Brownlee um, points out. Do you out, to just read that sentence again, just so I can have a clean edit? Okay, it's all good. <laughs> so, um, in fact, uh, pointed out in, in one of the articles that I read, uh, the academic articles I read about the film, um, Shannon Brownlee points out that some of the reviews who weren't watching the film as carefully refer to the 1912 timeline as a flashback, but in fact, it is not a flashback. It is a recreation. So the Simone that we see, because the variety guy was like, I mean, and like, why Simone doesn't look anything like old Simone and one of them's Quebecois and the other one's Anglo. It's like, because they're different people. But anyway, um, so the, they, the, the roles are all played by men because it's this prison theatrical where they are um, doing a play of the thing. Um, and it's pointed out in the film that this is Sim- from Simone's perspective. So Bilodeau is really angry. He's like, you know, every time the two men appear, there's like Gregorian chants in the air and it's beautiful. And it's like, yeah. And then so Brent Carver has this amazing line where he's like, well, he must have, he may have stretched the truth a little bit, but it's so beautiful. Like the underlying story is so beautiful. So we're constantly being told that this is not reality. This is a, per- this is someone's perspective. This is someone's memories. So, um, like, uh, John Grayson's, um, previous work was a lot more experimental in form than this film. He melds a lot of documentary and, uh, with narrative stuff and there's lots of music. He has some really, um, great songs, uh, and so there was some criticism of this film when it came out that it was too commercial, which is kind of a, so <laughs> which is a very interesting way of putting that. Christine Ramsey or, or Shannon Brownlee who are like, um, it's yeah. not that commercial. Accessible is not necessarily yeah. a word I would have uh, for this Also, film. they're in luck because he yeah. immediately went and just continued to make crazy movies for the rest of his career. <laughs> yeah, so... Um, <laughs> he never made a commercial movie. But, but in some ways, I think, like, it, despite the fact that it's a bit more narrative straight ahead, it is... Um, the play with gender is a little bit more subversive and that like he's not doing campy drag this is like very serious like and um and I think it was Shannon Brownlee who uh, says in her article that John Grayson has said all the characters in the play identify as men it's not like um one of them has a trans identity so this is like really men playing but it's sort of messing around with gender ideas and like what what is masculine what is feminine and I believe he actually straight up said that this was meant to be an exploration of what emotions men were capable of right right which I think is a fascinating idea of yeah. could uh, a man appropriately represent how a mother would feel about their child or feel to be abandoned without yeah. hope and uh, I I think that works Cam what do you think Sure. I think maybe if you haven't seen the rest of Grayson's films, is they all kind of have this theatricality. This yeah. one justifies it a lot more because it's like within the plot. Um, but especially the play within the movie is much more like the rest of his films. Like they all tend to have a bit of a weird sort of vibe. So I, I definitely find that I like the women characters more uh, because they're played so straight. Whereas yeah. I sometimes feel like he gives himself a pass. Basically, you can forget when you, when the whole conceit is that it's meant to be this heightened thing. Sometimes I think that there's some real dud acting in his movies, um, but you just forgive it by being like, "Well, it's like eight layers, man." Uh, but the women really play well. I think compared to like some of the young men, I think are a little too ridiculous. 
Uh, and you never get to see them drop like, the mask. Like what? what who, who's Matthew name? Ferguson? I don't mean to call him. I love his no, performance. It's, it's so awful. ridiculous. He's a bit much. It's He's too having a great time. <laughs> yeah. Like for anything that's supposed to have any matter of weight, it's like too ridiculous. There should be some dropping of that mask, especially like with the protests of everything. I don't know. It it did grate it on me a bit, and I mean there's something to it because it's like queering like a. You know, a historic a Canada moment, but uh, and also like everything's kind of shot like weird Bob Miser reels and stuff. But um, I don't know. I have I have a note on that. So <laughs> yeah. um, I one of the other reasons why I picked this movie is um, because I wanted to bring my work into yeah. <laughs> plug plug plug. Um, so at the one of the collections we have at the Media Commons is the Gala Film Collection, and this film is a co-production between Triptych Media, which is Ann Stratton's company, and then uh, Gala Film. Arnie Gelbert is is the producer for that. So we have all kinds of really interesting documents about that. One thing I didn't bring because it wouldn't be good to photocopy them and I couldn't bring them out of the archive is um, location shots. So they went to all of the locations and and took some pictures to try to decide where to set it. Um, But one of my favorite things that I found while I was looking through our records for this film uh, were some notes from the rough cut. Then I think it was producers. I'm not like, so I don't know who's making the notes and I don't know um, who was commenting on the notes, Uh, but there are notes and there are comments on the notes and they are very interesting to read. Um, But anyway, it just made me think of that because one of the notes about Bilodeau is generally people have found him unsympathetic and grating. That's fine. <laughs> he is kind of unsympathetic. But he's the villain, right? Yeah, so but he, he's really annoying. Like I do I acknowledge that he's annoying, but I've seen this movie so many times that I kind of love mm. how annoying he is. <laughs> he's, he's so whiny. But that's, oh, the Babylonians. But again, that also comes from his because you have to think about how much is older Simone's how much influence did he have on the casting and creating these worlds and things. And so if that's his general general recollection of what he was yeah. like, then that's what he's I mean, I think I, old, I think old Billy would <laughs> <laughs> would agree with you that he's too annoying and great because he says in the movie like I'm not like that you're mm. you're showing me as this like sanctimonious little shit so in the notes as well we talked about Liddy Ann um, who I think the performance is stunning I she's amazing, she's amazing. I, I mean Alexander Chapman has also been he was in the fig trees which is mm. a, a John Grayson film that I really love and he's really good in that too um, he's also in another film called True Love uh, which is on the Toronto movie map <laughs> um, yeah I, I think he's amazing in it he's yeah. transcendent and they were very mean about Alexander Chapman in some of them. I think they refer to his performance as being like over the top and like yeah. a little too heightened. And I think, again, there's a, a weird shift. Like, I don't have an issue seeing women as men and vice versa, but I also go see drag every Tuesday, you know, which is yeah. a different thing. But it is drag, but I don't know if it, it's, you know, it's, it's not. Yeah. And it's like, it reminds me, I was also obsessed with Kids in the Hall when I was a kid. And I know it's like a really weird thing to compare this to Kids in the Hall, but I never found the drag in Kids in the Hall campy. We've they, had this conversation. Yeah, they, yeah. they said that they purposefully tried like, to not. I just saw yeah. them as women. Yeah. I just saw them as like they didn't want to hire too many extra actors, yeah. so they played the women's roles. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the dragon in this film is that. It's like it's just having a really emotional performance and it, I mean, I, I hate saying that because it's like, oh, men are like masculine men can't be emotional but whatever but like it is is really about these are they're creating them as women yeah. um and yeah the variety reviewer that i keep dumping on um <laughs> Take that also, variety. also was very snarky about alexander chapman and said that he was sort of like a low rent dry queen and i was no 
I disagree he's not at all I think, I think his performance is sublime and is really is like has a lot of texture to it and you feel really like it's um it's a hard thing right because Lydianne is the impediment between the the true lovers that we want to be together but we feel a lot of sympathy for her and I think that's a point uh, Christine Ramsey uh, made in her article about the film that um normally in melodrama women's pain is presented for us to laugh at and to for humi- there's humiliation and this film doesn't do that both the pain of the countess and Lydianne is is given a lot of weight and we really we empath- we have a lot of empathy for them as opposed to laughing at their pain um I think like they are paying more than anyone, uh, even even sort of more than Simone and Valier uh, is is really given a lot of screen time and a lot of empathy. Well, and- even the revelation, and I actually found the revelation of what's happening with the husband and the new family. You now found out, yeah. find out back in France, and that Lydia was actually sent by the old. Uh, by the uh, by, the Countess's ex husband to come check out this region and didn't mention her once, yeah, and that's, that's what so you know, it's heartbreaking. And that performance, she's aiming to kill, and I have seen like like her yeah. words are daggers, right? Like it's you see the look on her face, and she's been so wronged and so harmed, and she's so embarrassed that she just wants to lash out at somebody else. Yeah. And so instead of lashing out at the men, she lashes out at another woman because yeah. that's an easy target, and you're just like. This is devastating. Yeah. So that aspect I actually found more powerful than I found the love story. Yeah, I mean, the, the film is really about how, um, like, women are victims of homophobia as well, right? In much the same way as men are victims of patriarchy, women are really hurt by homophobia and, and enforced, um, not enforced is the wrong word, compulsory heterosexuality, because there's women that have to marry those men that don't want to be with them, right? And I think it really gives equal weight to the impact of homophobia on women as it does on men, on, on straight women as it does on men. Cam, do you want to weigh in on that? Yes. <laughs> Agree. I don't know. There's not much to add to it. She made a coherent statement. I know. No, it's okay. I did not like it. I think I just... I've seen a lot of John Grayson stuff, and there's stuff I like and stuff I don't. So what, what ones do you like? I, I No, I mean the elements of each. Oh, I don't think right. that there's any of his stuff that I fully am into. It's Tuesday. Um, I'm I think I, I, think I appreciate... Come oh, on. I own zero patience on VHS, and that doesn't mean I like it. Uh, I think what I think his visual style is very interesting. I think this movie is full of, like, what we kind of touched on, but we haven't talked about much, is, like, the, the filmmaking, the camera tricks and stuff. There is a level that I don't think we've mentioned that much that I do think is why people get confused in flashbacks versus the play. It's like there's a level of play artifice that Mm -hmm. then turns into like a more realistic. It's not the play. They're seeing like what looks like realistic the past. Yeah. And uh, that's a point that one of the the academics I read on this thing made is that you don't see in reviews of the play people mixing up that Mm -hmm. it's a flashback, whereas you do in the film because it's very, they, they are really able to get away from being stagey like a lot of film adaptations of plays are just very like you're shooting a play and but it's so expansive and I think the a metaphor for that is there's a scene where I think it's when Lydianne arrives where they somebody like takes the 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 roof off off of the confessional box and you see this beautiful vista and and what what thing I think is interesting though is you never see the countess's house or their Mm. mansion or whatever it's always you just see the prison um which I think is sort of something about how the like breakdown of fantasy or I, I don't really yeah. know. But yeah, the, the cinematography is absolutely gorgeous. And I 
don't think they actually shot in the real Robert Val. I wish I had remembered. I should have written down the, the place they actually put this. Probably in the call sheet. Um, okay, <laughs> she's got the call sheets. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, it's just absolutely gorgeous. And it's, you know, I think probably filmed a lot at like Golden Hour and uh, in the fall when the leaves are turning. And it's, it's absolutely stunning. Um, yeah, and that stuff works really well. And the transitions between the two are good. I think also what you were saying, uh, one thing that helps the women be so effective is they limit the amount you see the men not as women and and yeah. they use it like to, to dramatic effect the few times you do see them as just prisoners and the costuming as well I don't think we've mentioned how great the costuming is sure. one, yeah. but also the fact that the costume designers were very smart and didn't just put the men in women's clothes but built the women's clothes to for men's yeah. bodies so that yeah. they're contouring them in a certain yeah. way and the padding is right but like not too like over the top draggy again it all looks like yeah. natural human beings yeah it just looks like they're kind of both small chested and and like Mm. But yeah, they have a way of like, I don't know, like uh, Brett, Brett Carver's uh, dresses are a little more boxy than Alexander Chapman. They've really built in like curves. But it's also the modernist like, versus the... Right, because yeah. there's a line the in the play world, where right? Lydia Ann says that all of all of the Countess's dresses are three years out of season mm. and, and whatever. So there is supposed to, you're, it's supposed to be signaled through the costumes, the, the disparity between them in terms of class and now you read the play what are the like key differences oh, the between major the two? difference is um the end so in the movie uh it's uh billado who throws the lit the, the, the what do you call the it? lantern yeah. the lantern on the ground and starts the fire in the play um billado says kiss me and simone is like never and he pushes them out the door locks the door and he throws the thing on the ground. So he this intends is, to kill them both. Yeah, this is no. like this like saint's death and it's because the whole <laughs> there's a line in the play where he's like, God, this Saint Sebastian guy really wants to die. He's really excited about it. It's so <laughs> weird. <laughs> like I think Simone in the play is a little more uh, he's a lot more vernacular and he's a little more, hey, well shucks, you know? Yeah. It's kind of funny. But um yeah, so it's it's a self sacrifice. They intend to die together. And so in a way, he's mad that he was framed for the murder of the man that he loved, but mm. he's also mad that he was robbed of the death that he wanted. He um. wanted this beautiful saint's death. And he, so it's kind of weird. So there is that, echo, I mean, I get it, because then there's the martyr echo that you get on both yeah. ends, yeah. but I just think the payoff, which I'm sure why, is why they changed it, because the payoff is better if Philado did it, right? It's yeah. Probably I, also an Anglo switch where, like, Catholicism means so much more in French. Yeah, you know? and that there, um, Andre Loisel at Carlton was kind of critical of um, the film for being an Anglo version is that the language is that's what I was going to ask and, yeah, yeah. So, does, does that affect it being Anglo instead of Quebecois when it's meant to be in Quebec yeah I don't know because that normally bugs me like when yeah. people are of the same language are speaking a different language to each other it's usually English um, I don't know why I don't mind in this in this version um, I, and again this is where my not being Quebecois is a problem probably because yeah I think there's a lot of context in terms of like the accents would be different and the and apparently even the the language that they use is the between the French characters Lydia and the Countess and Valier and uh, and then all the other characters so that would be like a moniker of class and like a, it's sort of a difference that sets them apart um, but I as an English guy Canadian. Yeah. I don't mind that it's yeah. in my language, you know. But one thing that is interesting, um, one of the critics I read pointed out um, is that 
while it is in English, there's a mix of uh, Quebecois and Anglo actors uh, sometimes playing the same character, though not playing the same character because Simon is not Simon. Yeah. He's just some dude in a prison. Yeah, who he's just an English guy in prison. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, they did try to mix that up a little bit with actually having Quebecois actors like Michel Sabarin and... Um, Romy Gerard and... Aubert Palacio, I think mm. is how you say his name, the guy who plays older Simon. Um, and then uh, I think Danny Gilmore, although his name is not French, he speaks mm. with a French Quebecois accent, so I don't know if he's... I don't know that actor, like, at all. Um, yeah, so there is there is an attempt to sort of gesture to that, but uh, that's been a criticism of the film, is that, you know, this great French play is or Quebecois play has been done in English and, and this also speaks to we were talking about the the visuals of it this also speaks to the the independent film style of like the early to mid 90s that yeah. was very popular this like very grand overly saturated like you have all the dark grays yeah. in that when yeah. you're in the prison then we go into these overly saturated almost candy colored um golden universes when you're in the in the imaginary world yeah. back and forth and, and it very much looks like something out of the 90s not in a bad way it's just very much out yeah. of time yeah and also the fact that it was funded right I like, was just gonna yeah. say you know how you yeah. get that yeah. arts yeah. funding yeah. you know who cut that arts funding funding Mike Harris yeah. Mike Harris comes in in 1995 the film came out in 96 this was actually the last film and I remember at the time reading an article about how in um it played at the Carlton and John Grayson staged a protest saying like, did you like this movie? It was funded mm-hmm. with the Ontario Film Funding Corporation, which doesn't exist anymore under Harris. So, hey, you know, write your MPP. Um, Do you happen to know how this film did internationally? No, I don't. That's what you know I'm what? I think, I think it uh, premiered somewhere international. Am I crazy? But I don't, I mean, I don't know that many people who know it. Yeah. The only, I don't know anyone who's not Canadian who doesn't. Well, know also, it. it's probably worth it. saying that a little tough to get your hands on. Yeah, yeah sorry, uh, guys. But also, maybe... Come to the media yeah, comments. Come to the media comments if you're in Toronto. You don't need to be a student. If, you can watch it on one of our If you're channels. not in Toronto, you might be able to Google it not so hard, and maybe there's a version. As with find. most queer films that we <laughs> yeah. found, most Canadian queer content finds its way online. And other not Canadians. True, true. Uh, and Norwegian I will say that... Television sh- or, yeah, Norwegian television oh, shows. Scam. So sure, good. scam. Everybody loved scam. And I still, still don't... That's can you still get reason, scam? It's the only reason it's accessible is yeah. because of season three. That's so weird. But, uh, so good. <laughs> yeah. But, and I will also say that the uh, this version, that which I certainly have not seen... Is very good quality, so uh, <laughs> it's a very nice transfer that maybe seems like somebody involved may have uh, slyly uploaded it yeah. because it's about as good as you can get. Um, yeah. And on that note, what are our favorite moments, guys? That's where we're at. I, every time Brent Carver opens his mouth, I sometimes say all of his lines to myself in my head at various things. Like my favorites are uh, where somebody says, "Oh, she's uh, she's from Paris or something," and and Valier is like, "Oh, like the kind of person when season one's dreams." And Brent Carver's like, "No, like the kind of person you see in Paris." <laughs> and then the whole exchange where uh, the Countess finds out that Valier has been working, and oh, yeah. so he, he's like, "Oh, promise you won't scream," and she's like, "As." if I constantly go around screaming yeah. <laughs> and then he tells her yeah. and she's like and you yeah. expect me yeah. not to scream no, and like the good. way that he's like so controlled and like freaking oh, it's just such a great I love little moments like that in performances and it's it's so wonderful and then the whole thing about like work work the most 
I can't remember yeah. the words, but the most notorious of occupations. Yes, yeah, the, the fish thing, the fishing guide is the most yeah. notorious of occupations. Yeah. Like, what does that even mean? That he's having sex with the ladies on the boat? Well, the, there, there's some stuff that they wisely cut out in the play. Mm. There's a lot of talk about he's working for the indigenous people okay. in the city, and so there's a lot of kind of... There's some prejudice. Stuff stuff stuff. And that yeah. that, that yeah. Is, is correct to the time, yes. but I think would have been distracting and not good to put it That's around, actually so. a thing I think that's possibly what she's freaking out about. True, true. The one thing that is always good in John Grayson stuff is he seems to be about 10 years ahead of the curve on what will be improper in the future. Uh, He's a very interesting filmmaker if you look up his story. He's always protesting something that gets him in trouble. He uh, spent several days in an Egyptian jail. Oh, weeks, I think. Right, right, right. (laughs) It was a lot. In an Egyptian jail. Yeah, you didn't know about that? Do you remember that? It was was absolutely nothing to do with Egypt. They were trying to go to Palestine. Uh, Yeah. And uh, it was during the Arab Spring kind of stuff. I remember the Yes, and he was trapped there for a long time. Yeah. yeah, and it was interesting, like, they, um... Long enough to make buns. Yeah. I have, I have several buns. <laughs> they should go in the archive. Um, yeah. um, they, uh, uh, they were very tight-lipped about his sexuality, um, mm-hmm. and his partner was not allowed to make any public statements yeah. because they were afraid, um, of what would happen to him. So, yeah. And also the guy he was with, who no, has since gone on to be killed. Isn't that, wasn't that what? the guy? I didn't know yes, that. Yes, uh, it's a, a doctor. Bobani? Yeah. He was killed recently in the Palestinian what? conflict. I had no idea. Yeah. yeah. That's terrible. I think that they were the two jailed together. At least that was the documentary he was making. Yeah, Terry Clubani yeah. was the doctor he was jailed yeah. with. Oh. Yeah. Oh, anyway, Cam, what's your what's favorite, my favorite part? Of this part? Film? <laughs> um, well, John Grayson being a uh, forward-thinking queer filmmaker, number one. Uh, no, uh, I really liked. Um, uh, oh yeah, just at the right, almost right when the play starts, when the man is giving them direction, and he just goes, "No, languorously, languorously." <laughs> no, Lazarus after yes. his resurrection. Yes. That part is so good. That part is my funny part I yeah. like the most. Yeah. And then the part, which I guess it can go like either way, kind of, where it's like uh, Bilodeau's last attempt to exonerate himself and or his kind of first crack at admission is when they're watching the play. And and at this point, he's kind of taken in on the play, but he, he just kind of quietly is like, oh, Valier was a lot heavier. Yeah. In real life, like he's like that actor is not the right size, and I can't tell whether that's him trying to say that Valier was too much for him to carry out of the room, or oh, yeah. if it's him finally just being like, "Yes, I was there, and I know what was happening." Because up until that point, he almost even seems to protest that he was even there. Yeah, he's like, "I wasn't at, I wasn't, I didn't lead your father yeah. to the thing. I was sick that day." And yeah, like, yeah. But yeah, I like that part. It's very good acting from the two older fellas. And they don't overdo it either. No. Like this no. could have easily they gone are very, into like... like they are very good at grounding it um, throughout. Because needs like because they're the anti theatrical. I'm also right? a big yeah. fan. Weirdly, one thing I did like of this conceit is I looked up. I was like, I wonder how many things I've seen that are a prison or asylum where people are performing a play. Seriously, and there's right? like, like six. Like, yeah. Like, there's a yeah. great Tales from the Crypt that's Hamlet. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, although usually you find out later the turn where it's like, uh, the guards are prisoners, but this yeah. one is immediate. 
This one I love, there's a bear. <laughs> and I want to know, first and foremost, great pun. Yes. Secondly, how did, like, I, that's the only part that I'm like, wait, everything else they've kind of been manufacturing, Fair. but now there's a bear. Um, I was also fascinated to just be like, yeah, what would happen? Like, what happened in, like, 1910 at Banff yeah. Springs when a bear, like, you just, you just go in. inside, I guess, and close the door? Yeah. Pretty well. You're like, yeah. he'll go away eventually. Just make sure your food and children are in. Like, that was, like, the most go. where I suddenly got warped to, like, the time and place. And was like, hmm. Bear? Somebody gets a gun, I think, yeah. to shoot the bear. Yeah, I think Val- or Bilodeau yeah. is like, yeah. Returns takes, takes with a gun. Oh, man. <laughs> um, I find a lot of, especially for mainstream stuff, uh, homosexual sex scenes, they take, there's no tenderness. And this is one of the first homosexual uh, sex scenes in a. Uh, specifically men, women, they do this all the time with, but, um, you don't, they skip right to the sex. They don't yeah. do any of like the actual kissing or caressing that you would do with someone you actually love and have the time to do that with, right? And so I found that representation genuinely beautiful and really artfully, but not gratuitously staged. Um, and also very strategically covered yeah. by leaves and dirt. And, yeah. uh, and I, I really appreciate that. I think it's a, a really clever and uh, artistic choice that also makes you empathize with them more if you're gonna find that like if you're someone prone to finding that icky which I am not I think mm. that makes it a little more palatable yeah it's really interesting that you should say that because one of the notes in the the thing that I have of notes from the producer um, from the rough cut is they wanted to cut the little bit where they're taking uh, Simone's clothes off and they're sort of goofing around because uh, it was just like oh that's too much just cut to the thing and it's like no. and and I think he was like no like that needs to be there to like kind of you know show them as like it's a it's a different sort of mode that they're in it's not just this like melodrama operatic kind of thing they're lovers they're not fuck buddies and I think that's like a really key point that a lot of people may not get it's yeah it's interesting yeah, I liked it. Thanks for bringing it. <laughs> also, I mean, uh, the other thing, the, the, I think one of the prettiest shots in the film is um, where it's just like the music choir, and then you see older Simon and Billy Doe sitting on that bench right on the the mm-hmm. shore of Lac Saint Jean, and it's just like it's a perfect shot. It's, it's so beautiful. Yeah, whole thing's mm-hmm. beautiful. Yeah. Well, Rachel, how do people find you and your work and all the amazing stuff you're doing? So, um, uh, we're at the media commons, uh, is media commons underscore TO on Twitter. And then we're media commons. Uh, you can find us on Facebook too. Um, yeah. So, uh, follow us for stuff on events that we have coming up. Uh, it's too early to plug. I don't care. Uh, we are going to do national Canadian film day. again. Yay! We're having two screenings, one at three, one at six 30, and they will both be films by Ted Kotcheff because we just got his archive. It's pretty awesome that's i've been exciting. processing it right now it's really nice. really exciting seeing lots of uh stuff relating to weekend at bernie's and first blood and um also the we're not showing either of those films. Yeah. <laughs> we're showing uh daddy kravitz and uh Joshua then and now. Oh, um, man. And if, if our yeah. audience has not seen Daddy Kravitz yet, at least that one's totally worth your time. It's yeah. a lot of fun. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah. How so, about you, Cam? How are people finding you and your work? I'm at CamFests on Twitter, at iCram on Instagram is where I review all the movies we watch, except for the ones we talk about here. Uh, I'll also say that even though I did say that I don't love it, you should watch Zero Patience because so it's crazy. Good. Uh, Uncut also is yeah. good if you like Matthew sure. Ferguson, which I do. Yeah. Uh, also, I'm, I'm sure I've mentioned before on this podcast the singing butthole song, which you can just find on uh, 
find on YouTube if you want if you want to get that taste of zero patience. And there's also another one called the ads epidemic ADS. It's acquired dread of sex that I found recently is on YouTube. Mm. Um, it's got a very catchy tune that you will not get out of your head anytime <laughs> sure. soon. And, and yeah, the you can see why people say that maybe he's sold out a bit on this one because. Zero Patience is incredibly explicit. All his other films are very explicit. Yeah, but but also like I think it's more stylistically yes. too. Um, but he kind of went back to that. Um, Proteus is another mm. amazing film which we have at the Media Commons. Um, it's a love story between a white and black man in South Africa in the 1700s, um, and it's so so interesting. It's and it's got more of that intercutting of of documentary and thing, mm. but it's also like I think a compelling love story, and it's based on court transcripts, and it's very like. They mix up the like it's uh, it's set in the 1700s, but the women are dressed like the 60s because it's trying to talk about apartheid and, and that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I can't say enough good things about John Grayson. I really, really love his work. <laughs> and you can go to York University and just be taught by him if you want. Yeah, I think he comes and goes, but he's <laughs> mostly the MFA professor there. He kicks around. Yeah. Uh, and then as per usual, you can find me on the Twitters at Le Shrimpton. That's the masculine Le Shrimpton over there. Uh, and then for the website for the podcast, go to rcmpodcast.com. See our full collection of films. Uh, we're in a new year. And let me tell you, we got some great stuff coming up for the rest of the year. I'm really excited about a lot of our guests and opportunities and all the things that are coming up. Uh, thank you so much for listening, Rachel. Do you want to go get a moose head? Sure. Or, or a waraniche, the fish that they're always eating. I don't like fish, but I'm just trying to relate it to the movie. <laughs> <laughs> I adore you. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Royal Canadian Movie Podcast. If you like what we're doing, please remember to rate us and subscribe on iTunes or on your favorite podcatcher. It helps people find our podcast and Canadian media they love. Come chat with us at RCM Pod on Facebook or on Twitter at RCM Pod. Our theme song is by Craig Stewart, and our show art is by Paul Stachniak. Join us next week for another great film from the wilds of Canadian cinema.